0: Pray with me. And Lord, that's really what we want to do is to acknowledge your sovereignty, your kingship, and to honor you in everything we do, everything we say, everything we think, and even in the things we choose not to say. May Christ be honored in all of those things, not just tonight, not just now, but in all of our lives, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would take your Bible and turn to uh, Psalm 4, Uh, we sang some songs that were a little older tonight. I'm going to preach a really old message tonight too. This is one that I prepared on April 19th and uh, that night it stormed and we uh, didn't gather and then after that Sammy and I were in Israel and then uh, last week was the Awana Awards ceremony. So, uh... Man, I hope I can remember it. So we'll see what we can do here with it. And uh, I was going to say you remember, but you probably don't. When we started this psalm uh, back in April, we looked at the first verse. And we looked at David as he was crying out to the Lord. And then now as we move into the second verse, he then starts talking to the culture. And uh, that just made me think of what Solomon, David's son, said In the book of Ecclesiastes, that sometimes we forget. In chapter 3, verse 7, it says, There's a time to be silent and a time to speak. And uh, David felt like this was a time to speak. I'm kind of feeling like the times we live, it's time to speak. I think we've been quiet too often, I think we're afraid of offending people, hurting people's feelings, and we certainly don't want to do that, and we don't want to set out to do that. We would never intentionally do that. But at the same time, there kind of needs to be a feeling, I think, in American culture for people who believe like we believe. Enough is enough. This is just getting ridiculous. When you think about uh, Target having women's swimming suits, that are made for the male anatomy. Enough is enough when you think about that kind of stuff. When you uh, hear that once again we've had uh, in a college sporting event, we've had a biological male that wins the event, and uh, those uh, poor girls that uh, were competing and working and all of that, it's just ridiculous when you see those kind of things. When you think about all of the perversion that goes on in our land, and we're just supposed to maybe sit back and take it. We're not supposed to really say anything or do anything. We're supposed to be meek, and we're supposed to be mild. Now again, we should never be unkind. We should never be rude. We should never be crude. We should not try to match the world. But we shouldn't be intimidated by any of those things either. This culture that we are living in is... Uh, messed up I think that's the only way you can describe it and I don't think very many people know the way out people say well what do we do well it's all bound up in elections well elections don't always go the way you want them to go and they don't always turn out the way you want them to turn out and uh, sometimes when we look and we go well there's not that much difference could anything get really worse I think maybe the reality is we look and we go yeah Yeah, they can get really, really worse. Um, I think if you had asked me back when I was maybe 30 or 40, something like that, who the most radical president and the most radical administration would be, I don't think I would be thinking of an 80-year-old man. I don't think that would have entered my mind. In fact, when President Biden was running, it was the idea that he's a grandfatherly, older man who can return everything to normalcy. I'm looking for the normal all over the place. I hadn't found it yet, have you? And uh, I I look and and just wonder, how long do we put up with all of this? And I think uh, David gives us the model here. The one thing we need to be doing is first talking to God. I'm afraid a lot of times we're talking to other people and we're talking to friends and neighbors. We're talking to politicians. We're talking to maybe you call a talk show and vent or do something like that and we're not really talking to God the way that we ought to are you a fervent prayer are you praying with intent intensity are you praying as you think about these kind of things with consistency or is it just an every once in a while kind of thing or when it comes up or when there's a maybe an occasion that calls for prayer you pray uh, we've got to go to war and we've got to be warriors we've got to be prayer warriors probably every one of us can think of somebody that we knew when we were younger there was an older lady or an older man in the church and we thought about them we said man they are just really prayer warriors well they're gone now they're in heaven now so who's taking their place and uh, we look around and go well I don't know I'm not sure I know anybody like that or see anybody like that well I, I think my question would be well why not you Uh, why not you becoming the one who is known in our church fellowship as the prayer warrior the one that gets prayers answered the one that if uh, we go to you we know you're going to take it from your lips to God's ears and uh, being like that and there's a call to prayer but there seems to be kind of a cooling off in this generation when it comes to prayer not a lot of interest in prayer and not a lot of participation in prayer but david prays with intensity here because he knows that uh, the lord is the only hope that he has now to uh, remind you where this is coming from the context of this prayer most likely it's the time when absalom his own son has rebelled against david David has had to actually run for his life. You know, when we talk about living in hard times and desperate times, we talk about you know inflation and different things like that. We talk about the moral state of our nation. But at the same time, let's be fair. We're all dressed fairly nicely. Probably had a variety of clothes that we could have worn tonight. We're not down to just a pair of bib overalls and running around barefoot. Uh, I, I look around the room, and I'm going, I don't think many of us have missed any meals lately. We're still eating well, aren't we? We can go out to eat. We've got food in our refrigerator, food in our pantry, and uh, we're, we're doing pretty good. We've got grocery stores that are well-stocked, and we can go and get the things that we need. Let's also think about spiritually. Yeah, we're in a, a rotting society When uh, John the Apostle said this world is passing away, I wonder if he anticipated the kind of world that we live in. No, we're not ancient Rome. Ancient Rome was a lot worse than where we are. But uh, we're getting there. And when we think about passing away, we think about death. And our culture really is dying. We're losing a lot of our freedoms. A lot of our uh, rights are being uh, reinterpreted and uh, changed. And there seems to be justice for some, but not necessarily justice for all. And and yeah, it's it's tough. But at the same time, let's be fair. Nobody's come in and uh, from the government and told me what I can preach or what I can't preach. We don't sit here tonight and every little sound that happens, we wonder if it's the police or the military or something like that. Uh, we still have basic freedom of speech and we still have our basic bill of rights and we ought to be thanking God for all of that instead of the whining that we do whenever we see those things infringed upon well let's just realize it could be a whole lot worse you you know the history of Nazi Germany and you know what it was like in the Soviet Union and different places like that and uh, we're not there And sometimes, granted, it feels like we're kind of headed that direction. And it seems like there are an awful lot of people who want to take us in that direction. But we're not there yet. And so you're still free to call your friends and talk about whatever you want to talk about. I remember uh, President Reagan telling a story And he said that uh, an American was talking with a Soviet citizen and the American said, in my country I'm free, I can go to the White House, bang my fist on President Reagan's desk and tell him, President Reagan, I don't like the way you're running the country. And the Soviet uh, said, oh, I can do that. And the American said, you can? He goes, yeah. Anytime I want, I can go into Mr. Gorbachev's office. I can go up to the desk, pound my fist on the desk and say, Mr. Gorbachev, I don't like the way President Reagan is running his country. You know? Uh, so, you know, we, we still have a lot to be thankful for. A lot to be happy about. And a lot to praise God for. We get down in the mouth and we get depressed about some things. We look at the worst case scenario But uh, how about the best case scenario? Jesus may come before the next election and all of this becomes just a moot point, doesn't it? And we uh, think about all the things that he has seen us through. We've been through hard times before uh, in history and uh, in our own lives. And the Lord has seen us through. That's why we're here. And we ought to be praising him. We ought to be rejoicing in the Lord and giving thanks. And when we look even at our prayer life, I mentioned how it, it needs to be, consistent and fervent and all of that but um, have you ever looked at your prayer life and wondered how much of it uh, is actually giving thanks and giving praise as opposed to asking God for things now I think you ought to ask God for things Jesus taught us that give us this day our daily bread for example there's nothing wrong with that I just think sometimes we get the percentages out of order and we need to do a whole lot more thanking God and praising God and rejoicing in the Lord. How, how does that, How is that working for you? Because I think sometimes when we pray, it's kind of like a complaint list, a complaint form that we're filling out before God. And maybe instead of saying, Mr. Gorbachev, I don't like the way President Reagan's running his country, maybe sometimes in our prayer life, And we would never do this in actuality, but maybe in spirit, maybe we're complaining that we don't like the way God is running His universe, the way that God is working in our lives. And we need to stop and think about that. We really are blessed people. And we need to remember that we are blessed people. And we need to put a smile on our face and have joy in our heart and give thanks to the Lord. Now, are there problems? Boy, yeah, there really are problems. And uh, when we look at what people have to say about the solution to our problems, well, if it doesn't involve the Bible and it doesn't involve getting right with God and getting rid of sin, then uh, there's, there's not just a whole lot of hope. So I pray regularly for a spiritual awakening in our nation. We need it. We're like the, uh, uh, there were some guys, they were in their car and uh, they, uh stopped and uh, they were going to look at some things they were near a park and so they pulled over on the side of the the road and then they hiked over to where the park was and they enjoyed it and then they came back and oh you know what they had done they had locked the keys in the car you ever done that that is such a sick feeling i remember one time Uh, When I was in my 20s, I locked my keys in my car. And that's back when keys were flat. They didn't have that big plastic thing or anything like that. And so after that, I decided I'm going to carry a spare key in my wallet. And I put that key in my wallet. You know what was funny? As long as I had the spare key in my wallet, I never locked my keys in my car ever again. It kept my mind on that. But these uh, young guys, they locked the key in the car And uh, one of them said, well, I can get in the car. Give me a wire coat hanger, and I can get in there and get in the car. And another one goes, no, you can't do that. And he said, why not? And he said, we're here around the highway. Somebody's going to see that and think we're trying to steal this car. And the guy goes, yeah, that's that's probably true. That may not be the best idea. Somebody else said, uh, maybe we could, uh, uh, this is before cell phones, maybe we could go uh, find a telephone booth or something like that and uh, call a locksmith. And the other one goes, boy, those guys, they take a long time and they're real expensive. And then the first guy said, well, we got to do something. It's starting to rain and the top's down. <laughs> yeah. Does that not kind of describe the way you hear politicians and others talk about our nation and what we need to do to fix everything? Uh, you ought to go to James, Senator James Langford's uh, website. I think it's jameslangford.com, something like that. And uh, on there, he uh, is continuing the tradition of Senator Tom Cole of uh, publishing just the wastefulness in our government. I mean, right now, the president says, there's nothing we can cut, you know, and we're going to default. I kind of doubt that, but uh, nothing we can cut, there's no room. And uh, House Speaker McCarthy is saying, well, if there's no cut, then we're not going to agree to... Uh, Raise the debt ceiling, you know. And uh, what Senator Lankford has done is he's published on his website, you can download it, showing all the ridiculous things that our taxpayer money is going to. And uh, it's just crazy. There are studies that uh, one of them, I don't even know what this actually means, but uh, they sent a lot of money to Paris to study how butchers in Paris they have some kind of a secret language, and we we used our tax your tax dollars, your money to uh, fund a study of that isn't that crazy? Butterflies in Germany, uh, different things like that uh, a drag queen thing in uh, somewhere in South America I mean, you want your money going for that kind of stuff like cut out all of that kind of ridiculousness and uh, then start working and balance the silly budget. For crying out loud. That's what we have to do. And uh, get it balanced and get it under control. And uh, that type of thing. But nobody wants to do that. It's like we can spend ourselves into oblivion. And it will never cost us anything. And uh, with the deficit spending that we're doing now. That comes up to over $9,000. Almost $10,000 per household. If we were to try to pay that off. Well I resent that kind of stuff. And the Bible tells us that the borrower is slave to the lender. So that makes me go, wow, I wonder who we owe that money to. We're borrowing it, borrowing it from somewhere. You reckon it's China? It probably is. So so what happens? How does this end? Not real well. Because people just don't know what they're doing. And they don't rightly assess everything. And that's why we need to be spending time in prayer, and it's a very serious thing. Now, David, as he has been run out of town, run out of the capital, run out of his palace, and by his own son, he's running for his life. Now, David's not used to that. David's used to having things kind of go his way. I mean, he stands, the only one that goes before a giant, a junior eye kid, takes his slingshot, pops the giant right in a vulnerable spot. He falls down, David kills him, David's a hero. And you remember David in battle. He was not necessarily a trained soldier, but he had a natural uh, instinct for it. And so he would go to war and he was victorious in that. And so the women would sing when they would come back, Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. And that caused David some trouble. But uh, even on that, the spear that Saul would throw at him happened to miss. It didn't hit him. And Saul probably didn't miss very often And uh, yet David was always spared through all of these kind of things. Uh, But David had done something. You remember with Bathsheba? He committed adultery with her and had her husband murdered to cover all of that up. And because of that, there was uh, punishment, chastisement, I guess we would say, on his house. Nathan the prophet said, you're not going to die. The child will, but you won't. And uh, God has put this away from you, but the sword will never depart from your house. Well, that's what this is. And Absalom is ticked off and he wants to kill David. Make no mistake about it. He's not just protesting. He's not just whining. He is intending to take over all of David's kingdom and even more to humiliate David and to kill him. And so, well, uh, what is David going to do? As he uh, thinks about this thing. Well in verse 1 he speaks to God. And he says answer me when I call O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious. Now the fact that he says be gracious is a clue. Grace is always undeserved. So this is David saying Lord I know I've got a memory. I know I don't deserve this. I know what I did. But be gracious to me. Give me what I don't deserve. Because he deserved everything he was getting here. Be gracious to me and hear my prayers. Then all of a sudden he makes a hard right. A 90 degree turn. And he starts speaking to the culture. The people of Israel. A lot of them had turned on David. It says that uh, Absalom had won their hearts. And so here is David, this guy who had done so much for them, established the borders, united the tribes, moved the capital, given them uh, prosperity and security and all of that. But you know how people are. What have you done for me lately? And so they kind of have turned from him. And listen to what he says in verse 2. And see, uh, as you think about this, if this doesn't kind of describe the era in which we live. There's a time to speak up. A time to talk to God and a time to talk to people. A time to um, cogently and properly assess what is going on. Listen to this. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? That's not only how David felt, that was literally happening. How long will you love worthlessness? Does that not describe us? Does that not describe the times we live? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? Think about all of the lies that you hear every time you listen to the news. Think about all the lies that you hear every time you listen to a political speech or something like that. The way everything spins and the way uh, sometimes... They will just out and out lie. It's like, I wasn't born yesterday. I know what happened and what you're making reference to, and it wasn't that way. And I can Google it and uh, find out that I was right. And yet they don't care. And they don't have any shame over it. Falsehood everywhere. What about the falsehood that says, oh yeah, men can have babies? That doesn't even make sense. The fact that in elementary schools in some parts of the country they're putting feminine products in the boys' bathroom, that doesn't even make sense. What about the falsehood that says you and I are nothing but, uh," what is the term I heard the other day? Oh yeah, we're just meat puppets. We don't matter and our lives don't matter. We're the products of random chance. In fact, we're just one big, giant, colossal mistake. Is why we are here and uh, someone said that humans are destroying nature (laughs) and I thought far as uh, you teach in evolution we are nature aren't we survival of the fittest and adaptability and all that kind of stuff it just doesn't make any sense and there seems to be at the root of everything there's a lie And what is that lie, the suspicion that God is not really good and we need a new God, we need a new morality, we need a new code of ethics, we need a new religion, we need a change. And so, uh, how long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? And then David puts a... Selah after that, and that's kind of what I did when I talked a little bit. We thought a little bit about it, and you could go a whole lot further than that. You could go a whole lot deeper than that. You could think of a hundred thousand more things in that. So we go to verse 3, and it says, But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. I think he's making reference to himself. He's the one who was anointed when he was a boy by Samuel, as the king, he's the one that was set up to be the king to uh, take over for the first king, Saul. And uh, I think even though he had made huge mistakes, Nathan had told him that the Lord had set his sin away from him. David knew he was forgiven and because of that he was godly. He goes on to say, The Lord will hear when I call to him. And boy, did David ever need divine intervention there was little or nothing that david could do for himself at this moment his kingdom was gone his palace had been overrun his own son is openly sleeping with david's concubines as a mockery to david as a shame to david to say i am the dominant one now david my father is the loser who is running for his life david's glory as the king, had been turned to shame. He doesn't look like a ruler at this point. His clothes are tattered and stained. He's dirty. He's sweaty. Maybe he's lost some weight. He's running for his life. He has guards out reporting to him and spies reporting to him. And he does not look like the person in power or in control. He doesn't look like anyone you would set on the throne. He looks like someone who is more of a revolutionary. He looks like somebody who is trying to overthrow the government. He looks like the person who is the criminal on the run. Well, he's kind of been in that situation before, but this is what's happening. And David is saying rightly, this is worthless and it is falsehood because Absalom was doomed for failure. He's going to reap what he sows. And we need to remember this about people and leaders and politicians God is not mocked. Whatever a man reaps, that shall he also sow. And uh, David also is living out the fact that people are lying about him. They are telling things that are not true about him. And the people's hearts have turned away from him toward Absalom. And so David's stuck. David is trapped. David cannot get out of this whole situation. You ever been in a situation maybe not exactly like that but similar there seemed to be no way out do you love the song God will make a way when there seems to be no way he works in ways we cannot see he will make a way for me he will be my guide hold me closely to his side with love and strength for each new day he will make a way we think about things like that and then we think about bible verses that tell us his mercies are new every morning, his compassions never fail out of the book of lamentations we think about Romans 8:28 that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose and uh, we think about reading further in that chapter that if God be for us, then who can be what against us but it doesn't feel that way. And I don't think David is writing this psalm from a happy place. I don't think he's uh, zippity-doo-dah, Mr. Bluebird on my shoulder, which reminds me, you can't even trust Disney anymore, can you? And uh, we think about how all of these things are changing. We've got to take them to the Lord. Now again, don't forget to give thanks, but we've got to take them to the Lord. But not only do we take them to the Lord, we've got to teach our children. We've got to speak up whenever it's Appropriate, And so here's what I want you to consider tonight. Number one, we need to question the culture. I think there's far too much just acceptance of everything. Well, that's just the way people think. Well, that's just the way the kids are. Well, that's just the way the, uh, the times are. It's not the way I think it ought to be. I think we need to be questioning things. The things we see when we watch the news. The things we read in the paper, if you still do that. All of these things that come up, I think we need to have an automatic question going on in our mind. First of all, is this true? Secondly, if it's true, is it right? And thirdly, is it something that God can honor? And we ought to always have our minds set in that direction. Now, we may never get to share that. It may never be appropriate to share that. But it will keep our compass pointing toward true north. So I would encourage you to do that on everything you do. And David says, uh, How long, O you sons of men? And uh, that's kind of a natural question. I think all of us, whenever we get into trouble or hard times, one of the first things we want to know is, How long is this going to last? How long are they going to get away with this? How long is this going to be happening? And uh, that's the first thing that David asked, a question, a, a natural question, how long? And I think um, kind of... In the middle of that, if you kind of dig under the surface, it, there, there's also the question of why. And You know, it's so easy for us to look and say, why is God allowing this? Why, what, what's his purpose in all of this? And we don't know the mind of God because his ways are above our ways and his thoughts above our thoughts, the book of Isaiah tells us. And, um, you know, we even want to ask other people why. why. We always think if we can know why, it'll make sense. When a marriage falls apart, people generally want to know why. Why is this happening? Why did you do this? Why did you betray me? Why did you ask this way? Now, if you'll think about it, it rarely brings any comfort or satisfaction. But we have this insatiable desire to know why. When someone has a child that is abducted or murdered or anything like that, what do the parents want to know? I want to know, why this happened i want to know why they did this i want to know why it just is instinctive so i think that that's probably buried beneath the surface david is saying to the culture how long are you going to pursue this junk and go this direction and and why why would you do this why would you follow somebody like absalom wouldn't you've had somebody like me and uh, Maybe that sounds arrogant. Maybe it sounds pride. Maybe he was prideful. Maybe he was thinking that. Maybe he wasn't. But uh, it it seems like David's got uh, some big questions in here. And uh, he's he's not really getting the answers that he uh, really wants. And you notice he says, How long will you love delusions? How long will you love. you know, all of the stuff that's going on. I mean, uh, why were they fighting this war and why were they trying to overthrow David? And how could Absalom even get an army? Well, some people thought it was worthwhile. And so David is pointing to their slanderous lies which they spoke to undermine his leadership. And likewise, how long would they seek false gods referring to their wicked unbelief in the Lord And as a man after God's own heart, David opposed all that the Lord opposed. Uh, That's uh, what Stephen Lawson says as he comments on those verses. Now, my question would be, as you watch what is going on all around you, are you a man or a woman after God's own heart? say, well, I sure hope so. Well, here's one way to test it. Do you look at those things and say, man, I wish I could get away with that. I wish I could live like that. Or, well, to each his own, no big deal, live and let live. Or do you hate what God hates and love what God loves? And this world gives you plenty of opportunities to test that, doesn't it? You can take your spiritual temperature fast as you watch TV, as you pay attention to the news, as you listen to a podcast maybe, and you go, gosh, how could anybody think like that? Well, that's a good question, but maybe a better question is how could anybody love that? How could anybody want to do that? And do I truly hate what God hates and love what God loves? Because our heart has to be right in all of this. Secondly, see the danger of the culture. It's not just that people think differently. It's not just that we have different ideas right now. Our culture is headed off of a cliff. Now, granted, some people are headed that way fast, and some are going a little slower than others, but they're all headed the same direction. There's a danger in all of this. What is this doing to our kids? What is this doing to future generations? Boy, mental illness is just off of the charts now. I heard uh, a cop talking that uh, back in 2019, he's on a unit that responds to... uh, Uh, mental health issues suicides and different things like that and he said in 2019 they may have 400 calls in a year he said now they're having about 1500 a month we think about all the things that people are doing and what they think are going to make them happy and none of it's working because it's worthless and it's built upon a lie now How vocal are we about Jesus? How vocal are we about the truth? How vocal are we in expressing our joy? Not that we're mad at everybody because we're not. Not that we're mad at the world because we're not. We just see a different way and we understand there's a different way to walk and a different truth. And uh, we need to be joyful as we do that. We uh, spent our time in staff meeting yesterday doing nothing but just praying, all three of us praying together and praying for one another and praying that God would let us minister and serve not just out of obligation and not just because we have to, but to do it with joy. Might I ask you, since joy is the fruit of the Spirit, to ask the Lord to restore unto you the joy of your salvation, that you can be joyous in these times when everybody's depressed. You can be joyful in these times when people are defeated and they want to give up. And they have no hope. Boy to see somebody with a smile. To see somebody with a twinkle in their eye. To hear somebody laugh. To have somebody say. Oh it's no problem. And you know that it's more than a cliche. It's really not. You're honored to help somebody. You're looking for the opportunity. To serve somebody else. Like Jesus commanded us to do. And he says. Will you turn my glory to shame. And this is the danger. The culture we live in, fueled by the enemy, the demons of hell that are assigned to watch over us, they would love nothing more than to take you as a faithful member of this church, as a faithful husband or a faithful wife, as a faithful worker, as a faithful Christian, and you can turn on a dime. And all of a sudden, your glory is turned to shame. You know anybody like that? You know any people that used to serve the Lord, but now you look at them, and boy, what a shame. What a shame. They've turned to alcohol. They've turned to drugs. Maybe they've turned to immorality. Maybe uh, they've become a criminal or something like that, and you think about, boy, I remember when they used to sing. I remember when they used to serve. I remember when they used to give. I remember when they were a delight to be around, but not anymore. Well, this is what David sees As a danger. This culture wants to transform you into a shame faced, shame filled hypocrite. And there's only one way out, and that's to live a holy life and to walk with God and to serve Him in everything you do. Will you turn my glory to shame? Well, that's what they were after. And this culture distracts us from our purpose and it ruins our testimony, it ruins our credibility. And uh, you can even be set on the shelf. Do you remember what Paul said in First Corinthians 9:25 through 27? Every athlete exercises self-control or discipline in all things, the way he eats, how early he gets up, running bleachers, lifting weights, all those kind of unpleasant things. And they do it to receive a stephanos, a perishable wreath, that laurel wreath that they would wear around their, Heads that uh, the emperor or somebody would give them. And what does it do? Before long, it wrinkles up, it dries up, and it crumbles. It's a perishable wreath. But we do it for something else. We do it for an imperishable. And Paul says, Now listen to this. So I do not run aimlessly or without purpose or focus. I do not box as one beating the air. It's not just a shadow boxing match. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Now, here's the warning. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, can you imagine? I mean, it's unfathomable to think about this. What if Paul had written Romans and Galatians and Colossians and Ephesians and all of that type of stuff? What if he had preached and established so many churches and then been disqualified because of sexual immorality or something like that. What would that do? What damage would that have done to the cause of Christ, to our understanding of Scripture and all of that? That terrified Paul. Paul did not want to be the person that somebody would look at and say, well, yeah, you're good at telling us what to do, but you're not very good at doing it, hypocrite. Terrified him. And that's the same thing that happens to us. And maybe today sin has so permeated Christianity that we're not the salt that we once were. Jesus said the salt that loses its saltiness is good for nothing but to be trampled on by men. And maybe the churches and Christians today, we just don't have any saltiness in what we say because we don't look that much different than everybody else now Romans eleven twenty nine, 29 Paul said for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable or the British would say irrevocable in other words I'm called to preach and I get involved in a sin that takes me out of the pulpit you want to know the hellishness of that the desire to preach and the calling to preach is irrevocable Paul says still there You know what's missing? The opportunity. The opportunity to preach. Now can you imagine from Paul talking to us and saying that God can take you and disqualify you, set you aside, set you on the shelf. The desire and the calling will be there, but the opportunity will not be there because of sin. Now, I know life changes and times change, our abilities change, and our opportunities change. I don't expect somebody who is older in a nursing home to be weeping because they have no opportunities. That's a different situation. But they still can find some. God will still give you opportunities. But what if your sin has brought you to the place to where God goes? No, nope, not going to use you because you call, you do more harm and raise more questions than you actually do good. And I'm afraid we live in that kind of society that our life is just an empty, worthless investment in time. And then, uh, number three, we need to evaluate the culture. How long will you love, look at the word worthlessness? Do we really see the culture and the times in which we live? That the people out there that we looked at, do we admire them? Do we want to copy them? Do we wish we had nobody watching us so we could do the things they do and live like they do? Really? David said, you're a fool. Because what they do is, call it what it is, it's worthless. And we've got higher pursuits. We've got more to live for And we are working for the glory and the honor of our king. We sang that a while ago. You are my king, the true king. We don't live for worthlessness. And our lives are not based upon a lie. So they love, they are energized by things that are worthless. Think about that. They'll spend their time. They'll stay up to three or four in the morning. They'll lose a job. They'll lose their credibility. They'll lose their testimony. It doesn't matter Uh, Just so they can have fun. And guess what it is? Just worthless. It's gone. It's not productive. It doesn't do anything for them or anybody else. That's the world in which we live. And that's what energizes them. And so how long are they going to do this? When will it end? And then the last thing that uh, we have a different calling. And that is this. Number four is we should treasure God. Do you treasure the Lord? Do you treasure the Lord? Do you see him as your reward? I heard um, Ron Dunn preaching one time, and he got to a verse that says, for I am your reward, the Lord says. And he goes, some of you just got very disappointed. You thought you were going to get money, cars, houses. You thought you were going to get prestige, a new job. But now you find out all I get is the Lord. You know what's sad about that? He was probably right there are so many people that when they say oh god is going to give you his presence and his power oh 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 that ah yeah okay well i've already got that don't i no big deal but man will we ever get excited over a ferrari or something like that that tells us a lot we are to treasure god but know that the lord has set apart for himself Him who is godly. Does that describe you? Is that the pursuit of your life? I know you're not perfect. Neither am I. But is the desire of our heart to be godly? Boy, do we really need that in this wicked culture. And the Lord will hear when I call to Him. Do you have that kind of confidence? To know that you can pray and the Lord is actually going to hear your prayers. And so tonight... We want to give you that opportunity to pray and to treasure the fact that you, you can speak to the creator of the universe. You can, and that his ear is inclined to you, that he invites you to come before his throne, and what's the adjective he uses? Boldly. What does that mean? Not arrogant, not snotty, not like that. It means to come with confidence. Why can I come confidently before the throne tonight? Because I have a Savior who died for me and sits at the right hand of God the Father and intercedes for me and He invites me to come and to come with confidence tonight. Praying in faith. And to not be intimidated. Not to, oh Lord, I know I'm unworthy. Well, that's no secret. That's no big deal. Everybody knows that. You know that. The devil knows that. The angels know that. The Lord knows that. But you don't come in your worthiness. You come in His name. In His worthiness. I pray, Lord, with worthiness tonight because my Savior is worthy. And I come to you in the name of Jesus. The worthiness of Jesus Christ. And you can take these things that are on this newsletter and you can pray about Have you been pouring much prayer into youth camp? There are a lot of kids that get saved. And a lot of people, most people get saved before they're 18. Did you know that? Have you been praying about that? And praying for the students that are going? Praying for VBS? And praying for uh, these other things that are on here that are coming up? Have you really been pouring and investing into that? I challenge you. I dare you. Double dog dare you, if that means anything to you, to actually really get serious about praying for those things and then to pray for people. Jordan and Tyler are here tonight. We had a shower for them. I just tore my paper uh, not long ago. And uh, she's going to have a baby here just real soon. And they need to get the baby to get turned the right way. And uh, so we'll just nickname the baby wrong way maybe. I don't know. And uh, we need that to turn and need everything to go well or she will have a C-section. And if that's the case and if that's the Lord's will, then so be it. But we want it to go well, right? And then we think about uh, Bonnie Autry and the things she's going through with especially her dad and his dementia. And we think about um, what uh, uh, Brent Oldham is going through. And uh, we think about uh, Mary Jane Young and her hip replacement. So you can sign uh, these things down here and write a note to them and encourage them. They love getting those things. We've had several good comments on all of that. And maybe also you might want to make a note about somebody. I need to call them. I need to text them. I need to go by and see them. I need to take them to lunch or something like that. And let's make sure that this is a ministry time. And let's pray for our children. They just had a lock-in. Last night, and I'm sure that uh, Melissa and Shanley and all who helped them were probably pretty bleary-eyed on all of that. Lock-ins are not always fun. But uh, I thank God for people that are willing to do things like that for our kids. And uh, pray that our kids feel loved. We took uh, 60 big bags of uh, groceries and meals to Roosevelt Junior High on Tuesday. And uh, while we were uh, taking those things to the library and getting them set up, My prayer was, Lord, there's not a whole lot we can do because of the current situation in our schools and our society. But Lord, I prayed that some little kid eating a bowl of cereal would say, somebody must love me an awful lot. I wonder why. And then just through that, an opening could come for them to hear about the love and the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would see our good deeds and glorify our Father which is in heaven. So there's a lot to pray about tonight. And uh, I'm calling the church to prayer. Pray for our country. Pray for our culture. Pray for these people. Pray for these events. And pray for ourselves, that our hearts will be right during these wicked times. We need to be on fire for God if we ever needed to be. Boy, do we need revival. May God grant it and grant it for His glory and His glory alone. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's go to prayer.